Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm caught out because we did not pre-discuss what we might be talking about before the show starts, and only now yeah. have I recognized that mistake. It's not that we do that every time. No, not at all. Sometimes our best... Marin opens are the ones that are a total surprise. Maybe this one will be that. Uh, I think odds are pretty low. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what you need to do, though. You keep your keep your hopes low at ground level. Under promise you... and find a way to nevertheless under deliver. <laughs> it's the greatest gen promise. <laughs> one of them. I feel like there are as many greatest gen promises as there are... Uh, rules of acquisition yeah we had that thing of like of like the rules of greatest gen for a while then we forgot to keep doing that whatever happened to that we got four and that was it right i think it was just too many fucking rules you know people also didn't like our rules they disagreed yeah i mean which i don't care about i want to be clear (laughs) i'm righteous in the construction of those rules yeah I thought of another reason not to lean your seat back on the airplane. Yeah? Because somebody did it to me recently, and the uh, the TV is just at a weird angle. Yeah, it's a bad angle. We've been on tour with Friendly Fire. <laughs> yeah! Right. You know, when we're recording this, was uh, we just finished our New York-Chicago leg, and I, I had a, a layover in Minneapolis, and I got on board my my flight home from Minneapolis... And every single seat in my section had uh, already been occupied but mine by the time I got on there. Mm. So, and this is like, I have a lot of anxiety around this because I used to, not as much anymore, but I used to travel with film equipment all the time. Yeah. And so it's a fairly high priority for me to be on the plane as early as I can because if I can't put my rollerboard in the overhead bin, I'm, you know, handing a bag with extremely expensive camera equipment to a guy that is going to then throw it eight feet in the air to get it into an airplane, you know? Right. Yeah. So my feeling is just like, get on, get on board and get your, get your stuff squared away as, as early as possible. And yeah. if you travel often enough on the same airline, you like get high priority uh, onto the plane and it's not usually an issue, but I had kind of a tight connection. So I, I, was laid onto this plane. I was in a bulkhead seat, so I had to put both of my items in the overhead compartments, and I was astonished to see a very wide-open overhead compartment hey. with one narrow, like, tote bag, like, upright tote bag, separating two spaces that were, like, exactly enough space to put my rollerboard in my backpack. And the guy that was sitting on the seat immediately next to mine said, Hey! Please stop that, please. And I turned around and I was like, what? And he said, there's a very delicate item in that bag and you're just cramming your bag alongside it. I would be very angry if you broke it. Whoa, those are the words? Those are like almost exactly what he said to me. This was a, uh, a blue-haired uh, man with uh, like, not Skechers, but like, like the Kmart version of that type of shoe. You know? Well, I mean, we don't need to be classist right now, Ben. <laughs> well, I got upgraded to first class, which is probably oh. the only, only reason I had a any space at all to speak of in the well, in the overhead compartment. This is an interesting detail, I think. But uh, yeah, like like weird shoes, given the fact that he seemed like the kind of person who probably paid for his first class seat, unlike mm. me, who was yeah. just there because I'm lucky. <laughs> He wasn't wearing sabot. Those that's a coach shoe. Yeah, yeah. Well, they uh, TSA won't even let you through security with sabot anymore. Right. Yeah. They uh, they break the X-ray machines. Yeah. But so he goes and gets his bag out, lets me put my backpack up before he puts his bag back, and the thing he takes out, the thing, the delicate thing that he he shows me is an iPad in a case. 
Wow. He's, he sits down with the iPad and proceeds to watch Fox News for the entire flight on his iPad. Cool. <laughs> wow. That checks all the boxes, Ben. Past Ben, before I was calcified by, by life, would have apologized and meekly gone to my seat. And what I said, uh, you know, before I even saw the iPad was, I was not cramming my bag up there. I'm putting luggage up in the bin. That's what you're supposed to do. Good, and- good for saying something. That fucking guy. Yeah. That's what you deal with in VIP. That's the level of person you often get. And look at you, Ben. You're 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 destroying it from the inside. Where yeah. we're putting good people in those places. I'm I'm no longer observing the rules of engagement. Of course, you're talking about Deep Space Nine season four, episode seventeen. Oh yes, the rules of engagement. <laughs> <laughs> Do you realize how incredible this is? No, of course you don't. Ben, it's a LeVar Burton-directed episode. It feels like he has been in the big chair for quite a number of episodes this season. Bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Yeah, he he directed a lot of Deep Space Nine. I think he, like, I think maybe nine or ten episodes. Yeah. He and Frakes and Avery Brooks are all in the top like five i think this is a very flashily directed episode it really really is there's a uh, scene in clockers that uh that uses it's a combination of like the spike lee signature shot which is the actor on the dolly with the camera yeah uh but it's harvey keitel kind of like in like going into a memory that he's kind of like fabricating for a kid who he's uh he's interrogating in a police context a kid who shot somebody like a minor yeah and harvey keitel is kind of like inserting himself into the memory and talking to the camera but in talking to the camera talking to the kid not the audience right and they just like totally homage that in this episode and i wondered if that was i mean it it does not seem unlikely that that would be a a LeVar Burton choice, but I, it's interesting to to speculate about like how that technique came to be a part of this episode. To be LeVar Burton and to be inspired by Spike Lee and then put that inspiration into practice here, I think is pretty great. If you have not seen Clockers and you're not familiar with this technique, you may be more familiar with a far, far lesser film that does it. That film, of course, being one of the worst films of all time, Boondock Saints, and Willem <laughs> Dafoe's retelling of a situation wherein he's narrating a gunfight while he's in it. There was a firefight! Why does somebody as great as Willem Dafoe agree to be in something as garbage as Boondock Saints? Why don't you let me do the thinking on genius? Yeah, I mean, occasionally an actor, even of Willem Dafoe's pedigree, will have to demean himself with Ralph from time to time. (laughs) And that's a shame, because he's great. Yeah. Just as long as Ralph doesn't watch my motherfucking television! (laughs) (laughs) This is the second episode in a row where, like, a dream life is a big part of it. Yeah, we wait. Uh, we have Worf walking through the little D, and it is fucking shredded. And yeah. uh, it is full of warriors. Sure is. Warriors of all stripes. And even non-warriors. You get little kid Klingons in there. I don't want to be a warrior. Strewn about, and they're wounded. Bloody. It's showing the bridge and, you know, cutting from him to, to like, different close-ups of people on the bridge, and then, like... A bunch of Klingon warriors with batleths raised over their heads. And then he's outside the door to the bridge. And I think that that's the moment where you start to realize that there's some dream logic at play. Right. But yeah, it's it's a pretty upsetting series of images. And then he kind of starts awake and he's he's in the jailhouse. You remember that episode where someone asks Worf what his dreams are like and he says... You know, that's just something he can't talk about yeah. with other people. Is this what it is all the time? I always pictured that his dreams were just like whatever that place was in the holodeck that Loaxana takes Alexander, and that's why he didn't want to talk about it. Like, no, yeah. it's, it's too embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about it. I love 
stories that this that just drop you into the middle and then they depend on you to just sort of get your bearings and this is that kind of story because when Worf wakes up he is in a holding cell uh, he's on the wrong side of a holding cell the, yeah. the prisoner side have we ever seen Worf on the wrong side of a holding cell I don't know he's been he's been on the other side a lot and uh, Odo sees that he's been rousted and is like uh, you better get some more sleep man because uh, you've got a big hearing today and you're gonna need your rest for that and there's some information being given to us but out of context we don't know what he's talking about and this is parts of an interesting beginning like a mystery that we've got we're gonna have to solve after the theme yeah that this is like what a tease is you're not giving us all the information this is a fucking banger of a cold open you think the bangers are over but they've only just begun ben because maybe the biggest banger of all is Ron Canada in Klingon Loaf. Damn! Such a delight. He is great in this episode. Yeah. Don't ever talk about great supporting cast members of Star Trek episodes without putting Ron Canada in the list. If Ron Canada isn't on your list, then I don't really respect you as someone who talks about Star Trek. This is a fucking dope Ron Canada episode. There's something about his performance throughout that really made me notice the teeth of a Klingon and how difficult it must be to articulate yourself. And Ron Canada, like, sort of uses the teeth yeah. to his advantage. He really makes in a unique s- way. strong Klingon teeth choices. Like, he doesn't smile, but he's often mouth open yeah. talking in a way that is very, very interesting. Like, an interesting choice as an actor for him to do that. He lets that, like, one fang kind of stick out sometimes. Yeah. I wonder how long it takes to, like, you you need to get from uncomfortable to comfortable to making a choice. And Ron Canada goes from A to C. Like, right. he's making choices, which yeah. is great. Like, think back to middle school when kids started to get retainers and how, like, their speech would be slurred for a few days while they got used to having the retainer in. Yeah. Like, that must be a concern when you're having prosthetic Klingon teeth put in your mouth. I think it's one of those things that's different for everyone, too. Like, until you get Ron Canada in the loaf and in the in the dental prosthetic, who knows what he's going to sound like. Right. Fucking great. That's what. Yeah. As if there was any question. Here is the, uh, the basics of this situation. Worf has been accused of wantonly... Killing a a civilian ship, like a transport ship, basically shooting down a a jetliner in the midst of defending a Cardassian aid convoy from a Klingon attack. And the the hearing that is being overseen by uh, Admiral Talara, a Vulcan admiral, is is going to determine whether Worf gets extradited to the Klingon Empire to stand trial for this uh, this thing that uh, Chipak, the Ron Canada character, is saying is a war crime. So this has all the feeling of like a pre-trial hearing, right? Yeah. Like a determination is going to be made about extradition, but not about his guilt. And he will be extradited if it is determined that it, he like did the thing intentionally, basically. And I think this is... A story really well crafted because you don't see any of this until much later in the episode. You get you get people talking about an incident that you have not experienced yourself as a viewer. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Talara had a full four pip on, like, I mean, I guess a full eight pips, really. She's She is, I feel like, the pippiest admiral we've maybe <laughs> seen in the entire run of TNG and DS9. Yeah, I mean, the thing that makes me think that is that she had uh, two pigtails sticking straight out of either side (laughs) of her head. And the longest stockings. (laughs) This really feels like her role is a a Philippa Louvois situation, right? Because this is a real uh, measure of a Klingon type story (laughs) we're given here. Because Ron Canada's character is less interested in the guilt of a wharf than he is in his motivations. He makes that very clear. Right. 
The B story is that Odo is going to be doing some investigator work for the advocate that uh, that Cisco is playing. He's going to look into this this transport and see if there was anything unusual about it. If it was in fact the innocent passenger ship that is being presented as, or if it was if it was something else, because. Uh, the details of the of the case seem seem very strange. Like, why would Worf go out of his way to blow this thing up? So the Starfleet argument is going to be Worf was, you know, in a complicated three dimensional battle scenario, and this ship unfortunately got hit when nobody meant to be shooting at it. It's just hard at this point in the episode to conceive of what they're describing. Like, what the fuck is a transport ship doing in the middle of a firefight like right. it's, it's bonkers how does this happen they do a great job of kind of like peppering in that information and then slowly building up to it and yeah. like i think that we kind of watch this all from the talara pov like the camera kind of lives on her side of the courtroom yeah, even yeah which is kind of unusual for a courtroom drama right like the camera is almost always kind of behind the the desks that the that the advocates sit at uh, facing the judge and I think that it's pretty smart that the camera position is almost always from the the opposite side like from the Talara side that's a good observation yeah it's really true Golden so 441 Klingon civilians were killed in this incident. So the consequences are both for Worf, but like the fallout from it is fairly massive. Like this is a scandal, big time. Right. And um, the part of attorney's jobs where like outside the courtroom, they're just like colleagues with each other and not, you know, like that, that's always like kind of mind blowing to see. But like Chapak, when he you know, catches Cisco in the hallway is always like, hey, man, like, what's up? I uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about the case. I don't really have any, that many, like, strong personal feelings, like just me as a lawyer slash warrior. Like, this is my mm-hmm. battleground, and I, I really like winning, so. I look forward to fighting on your terms. I'm going to do my best to really kick your ass, but uh, no hard feelings about that. <laughs> hey, I just want to let you know that I work hard and I play hard. <laughs> and he takes his uh, necktie off and puts it up over, uh, you know, around his head and heads into Cork's bar, orders a yard of ale. Chipak is great because he does this a bunch during the episode. He does not prescribe to the idea of, of like a professional distance. He yeah. chats up Cisco a couple of times in this ep and he has no reluctance about it. And I yeah. like that. It keeps them in conflict in a fun way. Like, it's the keep your enemies close kind of deal. Cause, yeah. Because he's also like, like he's not not talking about the case. He's not just being yeah. a friendly guy. He's like, hey, like when, uh, when your officer is extradited, it's going to be great for the Klingon Empire because we're going to expand our, you know, like we're going to keep... Uh, annexing territory and and fucking with the Cardassians because Starfleet will be kind of back on its heels. Like, it's sort of like he's going, uh, after I steal your girlfriend, we're going to get (laughs) married and have an awesome family and and live in a giant house. It's going to be great. You fucking cuck, Cisco. You're going to (laughs) watch. You're going to watch it all happen. So, in parallel, Odo is sent on this mission. He's got to dig up dirt on either the transport ship captain or anything about its crew. Like, anything that will explain why this ship was in the middle of this firefight. And Odo is given free reign to do such things. And, like, we never see him do it. He just sort of checks in with Cisco a few times in the ep to give him updates. And often those updates are not good news or just inconclusive. Right, like the uh, the first update is like, like I, yeah, I looked into the captain. He's like a a pretty meek dude who really like plays by the book. And provoking a Norsegan is not a good idea. Like he is not the loose cannon in the in the buddy cop movie. He's the other guy. Yeah, the idea was that maybe this was intentional as as the only explanation. And and Odo is like one of the great captains in Klingon history. He's, yeah. 
He's actually very well liked. <laughs> I really do like the idea, though, because like a lot of uh, airline captains are ex-military. Yeah. And, and the idea of just being like, like, fuck it, I'm going for it <laughs> 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 is pretty, is pretty uh, you know, it's tempting, right? Yeah. Hey, is that a is that a battle over there? Yeah. Holy shit. Let's 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 get in it, guys. <laughs> I mean, we saw Gold Ducat do this several episodes ago. Like a, a ship isn't a barrier to fun. Yeah. I read that the premise of this was actually inspired by a real incident where a US uh battleship shot down some airline from Iran and they it, it was shot down like 220 people died and the US blamed it on like a computer malfunction they basically Mm. said like our tactical system misidentified this thing as a bomber or a fighter or something and we sent a bunch of warning messages but they were on like a military frequency that the civilian pilot of the airliner would not have been monitoring and it was like this horrible tragedy that was you know blamed on a computer error but also was like fuck like let's try to find ways to not have that kind of computer error lead to this kind of situation? Wow. How about Iran seeing the situation for what it is and not using it as a pretense for war? Right. Not, not a lot of uh, Bolton types over there. <laughs> Apparently not. That was in 88, and I guess one of the writers of the episode had been like doing research on, on that kind of like cascade failure in like you know computer and human interaction. This conversation that Chapak and Cisco have is uh, interesting from another angle, which is Chapak makes the case that, that once the Federation loses, and they will, the Federation will have lost a moral high ground. And the consequence of that is uncertain at this moment in time, but it's impossible not to think that you don't get something like that back. Right. After an incident like this. So the the damage could be far-reaching and permanent. Worf is about to present us with something we never could have won in battle. Sympathy. Well, the upsides of this for the Klingon Empire are something that they discuss at length in the episode over the course of a number of interactions. Yeah. But Worf is basically a symbol of defiance to Gowron. So Galron would love to have Worf just like totally taken off the board, and also like it's like it's like two birds one stone kind of thing. Like if we mm-hmm. can fuck Worf's situation up, we also fuck the Federation's situation up, and yeah, you know, assert a position of dominance in the quadrant. Do you feel like Worf and Cisco are low badging it a little bit in a confident way? <laughs> I feel like in all these courtroom scenes, they're they're doing a little Cal Hudson. Yeah, because uh, we don't usually see them in their in their dress uniforms, but they're always in the dress uniforms in in these scenes. So maybe yeah. they took that as an opportunity to to drop it to the Cal Hudson altitude. <laughs> yeah. You think Ron Canada saw that and he was like, "Fuck! I wish I had a badge. I would put it in my fucking belly." Ron Canada would have. Uh, Prince Alberted his comp badge <laughs> were he given one. Super power move. Uh. So Dax is the first one deposed, and it's during Dax's testimony that we're introduced to this different style of storytelling that we've gotten before, this style that breaks the fourth wall. Yeah, I thought this was a great cut because we've seen Dax and Worf fight swords in the Hollow Suite before. Yeah. And it cuts to them doing that and they're not talking initially. So I I was just like, "Oh, like the, are they using a little bit of footage from a previous episode?" And then she like turns to the camera like mid mid grapple and addresses it. I know he could kill me if he wants to. But that look always goes away. He knows when to stop. And I think it's the first time We've seen a character make eye contact with the camera in the whole series. It's shocking, and I love it. It's great. It's bonkers. It feels, in the beginning, a little bit like a Canadian workplace safety PSA. Because I'm about to be in a terrible accident. (laughs) Especially because Dax is in the middle of a sword fight, and it seems extremely dangerous. Yeah, there's a sword at her neck. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, her testimony is fairly damaging, though, because she says that, uh, yeah, Worf is really into some rough Holosuite play. And uh, one of his favorite programs is one that features the destruction of a historical Klingon city and all of its inhabitants are killed, including like women and children. So uh, also that was a program that he used the day before the mission in question. It's sort of a like do violent video games cause violence kind of moment in the ep. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. I think the ep kind of comes down on on no yeah as a side but um you know i i happen to know that you're facing some animal cruelty charges for what you did to horsey thick and genuine so right you know it seems like we live in a reality where we really do believe that that's a problem the horses kill themselves by running off of cliffs ben yeah i want to be clear about that that's the position that you and your attorney have taken but i think that uh i think the government's case against you is is pretty strong i'd love to tell you more but i've i'm being advised not to (laughs) it's cisco's testimony that is next and we get a greater understanding about the the mission itself and it's here we learned that uh was assigned to the sixth of seven convoys this is like an ongoing thing where federation ships protect a, a uh, I, w- I was going to say humanitarian mission. The very term is racist. Probably not a way you'd want to describe this mission, but uh, but these supply runs are are a tasty, tasty treat for an attacking Klingon, and so these convoys have been subject to these kind of attacks. So the idea of like attaching a single Federation ship to them is a good idea for their defense, and uh, the Defiant is one of those ships. The issue is that um, there's like a plague outbreak on on a Cardassian world, and unfortunately, these convoys have to kind of hew pretty close to the Cardassian Klingon border. So, hence, hence the escorts and the humanitarian nature of the missions is why the Federation agreed to provide those escorts. Everything anybody says uh, Chapak is using to kind of twist toward the idea that Worf is a Klingon and as a Klingon has a certain bloodlust, a certain like need to uh, demonstrate his prowess in combat and you know a willingness to to do anything to really stick it to his enemies and the the character that he is trying to paint in Worf is is, is one of a person who is driven by vengeance and and anger and isn't in control of himself in in combat situations it's a really interesting spot to put him because it makes Worf have to decide if he is a good Klingon or a bad federation officer right or a bad klingon and a good federation officer by making him choose he is sacrificing any goodwill for the one that he doesn't choose Worf does not want to have to choose between soft tacos and hard tacos i bet Worf is sort of wondering whether or not he should go see dr bashir about uh about the lobotomy (laughs) (laughs) i mean he knows of this family member that can adopt him yeah, <laughs> he could have a he could have a perfectly fine existence back on Kronos as a Klingon. I did not know that I had a brother, <laughs> and yet here you are. Really crazy coincidence that we both have the same amnesia. <laughs> Our uncle is a very generous man to have adopted two orphans like us. Yeah, and so we like kind of run down the line, right? All of our main characters get this moment in the seat. And uh, Quarks is the opportunity to inject some comedy into the proceedings. Like, you love that Quark is concentrating on the wrong things. Right. In his attempt to get a story straight. I love that. I love that Quark has kind of a bad memory for, for things also. That's kind of a surprising character development, I feel like. 
you know, he he's he's very like calculating and meticulous, but the idea that he would have kind of a bad memory for social interactions is it kind of tracks for me in a fun way. He's acting like someone for whom the stakes don't matter. And I think that's an interesting and realistic character moment for him, right? Like Worf could be extradited and killed, but Quark is not taking that part of it seriously at all. He's sort of having fun with the moment because he's he's on stage. Yeah. Well, prune, prune juice is a kind of a low margin item at the bar, so. Yeah. Yeah, he's not going to lose anything. <laughs> uh, his testimony comes to a point, though, when he finally gets to describing Worf and his dialogue during this moment. And when Worf tells him about the mission, Quark asks him what happens if Klingons attack the convoy while Worf is commanding the Defiant. And then he said, I hope they do. If Siska was a better lawyer, I think you've got to latch on to the obvious fogginess of Quark's memory and just drill him for it. Just everything it's worth. Like, yeah. this guy doesn't remember shit. All of this might be made up. You know, he might have. we might have talked about sports for all Quark remembers. As good as this episode is, it still falls prey to the problem that Dax had in the episode Dax, where her stoicism while being attacked in a courtroom was uh, not a strong point of that episode. Yeah. And so when something like this happens, you're exactly right. Like you're expecting a a more fully throated defense and and instead it's met with that kind of professional stoicism. It's uh it's hard to watch. It's wild because it's like it's a very wharf centric episode. It's about wharf and I read on Memory Alpha that the idea after Sons of Moog like made Worf had to have to kind of commit himself to his Starfleet identity mm-hmm. was like, what if, like, what if then he was confronted with something that caused him to question even that? Yeah. Just like further push him into a corner. And for all of that, he's barely in the episode, you know, like we see, we see him in flashbacks and we see him sitting there kind of wordlessly at the table, but he doesn't get much to do, you know? Yeah, so Odo has sprinkled in a little more intelligence like between all of these depositions. And what's confounding to Odo is like how agreeable the Klingon government is. Like he's like <laughs> so check it out. Like the captain spotless, the crew and the complement are like normals, nothing out of place there. And check this out. Like the government is answering all of my questions. Like like they're really being helpful with this investigation. That's the problem kind of a warning sign, but I can't really figure out why. I'm always suspicious of people who are eager to help a police officer. And and Cisco's like, well, I mean, stay on it. Yeah. You're the B story. See if there was a passenger that had an axe to grind, somebody that had maybe learned how to fly a starship, but not how to land it <laughs> on board. Yeah. Anything like that. We also get um, O'Brien's testimony. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Which is uh, the first time we actually see the battle, which is pretty fun. We got like a, a decent. And it's uh, a number of Cardassian, you know, transport ships, and then a, a couple of Klingon ships, and they kind of, the Klingon ships are kind of like trading. Uh, positions where one will be attacking the little D and the other will be attacking the Cardassians. And uh, the Cleon bird of prey goes to cloak and Worf like has figured out the pattern. And when uh, what he imagines the bird of prey is going to be comes out of cloak. When did you realize it wasn't a bird of prey? As soon as it exploded. Uh, And you barely even get a look at this ship because it's mostly just an explosion and a bunch of ship pieces falling apart in space. I thought for a moment it was Ducat's transport ship. It looked like a a drain cleaner (laughs) class starship decloaking. I think it's a different model, though. Also, that ship was destroyed because Ducat destroyed it. Oh, yeah. With all those Klingons on board. Mm Mm-hmm. 
He never got charged with war crimes or nope. threatened with extradition. I guess uh, there's no no diplomatic anything in between the Klingons and the Cardassians at the moment. Gotta say, it's great seeing Miles O'Brien in the big chair. <laughs> big fan. Yeah, the, uh, the one of the big questions that uh, that Chapak asks him is like, would you have done what Worf did if you had been in the captain's chair? This is the part of the episode where uh, Chapak yields the floor to ABC News' John Quinones for uh, <laughs> for the what would you do portion uh, of the of the examination. What if you were in command? What would you have done? We've positioned Miles O'Brien on board the Defiant, and now Major Kira is going to walk onto the bridge and say something racist. <laughs> it puts O'Brien in a tough spot because he's a he's an enlisted man. Yeah, he never gets in the big chair. He fucking chose a career where he doesn't have to do this that often. Yeah, he's proud of that career. He doesn't want to. He doesn't ever ever even want to dress up. You know, like the. He doesn't even like being in in the formal uniform. No nice dinners, no big chairs. The Miles O'Brien story. I like O'Brien, but I really don't respect that as a set of choices. Get dressed up, have some nice dinners, that shit's fun! Oh, jeez. He can do whatever he wants in my book. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. A fucking pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. O'Brien falls prey to this thing where you don't get to replay the game <laughs> with with you as as different game pieces. Like right. in retrospect, of course, you can make any number of different decisions. I thought this but, was the best written part of the episode. Like, yeah, obviously, I can see that a mistake was made, but I have the benefit of hindsight, which Mister Worf didn't have. Yeah. And that's the point. Like, the job is about making choices on the fly, and sometimes you make mistakes when that's when that happens. Risk is part of the game. You want to sit in that chair. The performances are all around great in this episode, and I feel like when you center an episode around the idea of Avery Brooks and Ron Canada just fucking yeah. trading blows as actors, just like like working at the top of their game, like everybody on that set has got to be excited about just bringing their fucking A game, right? Because everyone loves a a courtroom show and a courtroom scene. Like that's where it feels like if you're an actor, that's where you become capital A actor. Yeah. This testimony by O'Brien hurts because even though he's speaking from the position of hindsight it does not help for him to say he would have chosen differently and this is something that Chapak seizes onto because when he finds Cisco in the re- in the replimat later he's like hey so you do ju- you just want to like concede let me take him back to the empire and i'll make sure he's not put to death it's kind of a waste of time and a foregone conclusion at this point i've got a ship re- ready to go uh, pilot is is new, but uh, and and he actually has like a pretty recent like health crisis. Uh, he's he's actually suffering from amnesia, but he's ready to go too. How fast would you like me to fly this shuttle back to Kronos? This is your captain speaking. <laughs> you should observe the no smoking sign. <laughs> When I need to go to the bathroom during the flight, the flight attendant will push the drink cart toward the front of the airplane so that an attacker will have that much more material to get through if they want to storm the cockpit. We know that you have your choice in airlines. (laughs) Thank you to all the medallion members on today's flight. Ben, do you think a good Greatest Gen shirt would be the word Kern written in Star Trek type and then like the K is just a little too far away from the ERN? (laughs) And that's just all it is? (laughs) Like the way the disco shirt is for Star Trek Discovery, just like one word across the chest. I kind of love it. I do too. Is it, let's, is it let's black it on store. dark blue like the like the disco shirt? <laughs> yeah, let's do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> let's make it happen. That's fun. I, I, we I'm haven't done it. a Greatest Gen shirt in a long time. 
yeah, I think <clears throat> maybe by the time this comes out, there will be a couple of new Greatest Gen shirts. Right on. Yeah. Cisco turns down Chapak's generous offer, deciding to continue with the trial. But he sees what's going on here a little bit clearer, which is that, uh, you know, by losing this trial, you lose a little bit more than Mr. Worf to the Klingons. What's what's clear is, like, the Federation loses ground yeah. because the Pentath system would easily become annexed by the Klingons due to the lack of Federation involvement in the aftermath of this thing. And, uh, you know, as the Klingons continue to chew up territory, it's not a very good... Like, you can see the writing on the wall. Annexation isn't going to end there, and it could even include uh, areas like Bajor and DS9. Right. So the one big scene that Michael Dorn gets in this is his his moment on on the stand, and... Uh, it starts with Cisco questioning him, and um, and it's and it's pretty straightforward. It's like uh, like was this like in your best judgment the command decision that needed to be made in the moment? And Dwarf was like, yes. Like, do you think that Chief O'Brien's shit he said is is fair? And Dwarf was like, yes, except for he has the benefit of hindsight, which I did not at the moment. And if I had it, had to do it again, I probably would do it the same way. That's just the truth of, you know, a battle like that. You're not expecting a fucking 737 with a lacrosse team on it to decloak right in front of your ship when you're in the middle of a firefight. Worf's testimony is about how surprised he was to see a decloaking transport ship in the middle of this conflict. And the question is really about, like, anticipation versus revision right. in his mind. Like, because, you know, when you're involved in a thing, you put yourself in the moment of anticipation. But when you're talking about a thing that happens in the past, it's about the revision of that experience. So, like, this tension is playing out through Worf's testimony and Worf admits that he would have made the same decisions again because he's someone who is sure about the difference between anticipation and revision like he puts himself in the place that he was knowing the facts that he had at hand and he's like that's what I knew the truth to be at the time and so it's irrelevant to apply more recent intel to a decision I had to make back then and Chapak's cross-examination after this, because it's Cisco that puts him on the stand, Chapak cross-examines him and totally takes a different angle. Why are you considered an outcast among Klingons? Chapak is really the uh, Kenya Moore to Worf's Porsche. <laughs> he is just provoking him to, to, get a, to get a big reaction, you know? Is this a real Housewives thing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, like Chapak just fucking goads Worf into standing up and hitting him. Yeah, like a little while ago I was talking about like this is about making Worf decide if he is a good Klingon or a, or a, or a bad Klingon. And this is what Chapak is doing. Like, he's, like he's everything using... is about like your house has been disgraced. You're the yeah. son of a traitor. Like the Empire has done you wrong. You're you have no honor, like like, and it's it's brilliant the way they write this, right? Because it's yeah. it's set up from the beginning to make it like basically impossible for Worf in the constraints that we know Worf to live under, not to respond with violence. It's super well done, and it's great lawyering. Yeah, really, like Chapak, this is expertly done by him. Every lawyer should be willing to get hit in the face by a hostile witness. We cut to Cisco's log, and he's like, "Things are not good <laughs> with this trial." Like, basically, uh, getting ready to put Worf onto this transport ship. Yeah. So, Chapak goes down, and he makes the case, like, you know, you claim to be this man of honor, and and yet you hit me, a comparatively weak man who is unarmed. And uh, I think we can extrapolate from your willingness to do this that you would be willing to do that to a a people in the Klingon Empire as represented by the 
passengers of this transport in this specific situation. I rest my case. The admiral goes to deliberate, and this is when we get a break in the case. But it's a, uh, it's the kind of break in a case that you only get in television drama, which is you don't know anything about it until you're back in the courtroom. It's elliptical break, right? It's just Odo handing Cisco an iPad and then the admiral walking back into the wardroom to resume the trial. And we come to understand that this is a bit unusual, right? Like she was making deliberations and this is an interruption. This is not her coming in expecting to deliver her decision. She's been asked to suspend decision making to consider new evidence. You can imagine that Vulcan deliberation is super intense, right? (laughs) Probably involves holding a difficult pose for a long time. Yeah. Fasting. A lot of candles. Yeah. Deciding who the many are and who the few are in this scenario and what their relative needs might be. This is Cisco's time to shine. He's not going to get out-lawyered by Chapak. No. He calls Chapak as a witness, as an expert on the Klingon Empire. Gets Chapak basically to admit that it's possible that the Klingons would do something that is not entirely honest, given the current diplomatic scenario between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. And then drops the iPad in Chapak's lap. And the iPad, uh, as far as Chapak knows, is a list of the passenger manifest of the ship that got exploded. And then Cisco turns around and is like, oh, no, 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 no. That is the list, the passenger manifest of a different ship that got exploded a couple of weeks before the event in question. How dangerous are Klingon transport ships? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like there's uh, in late stage capitalism, they're they're letting a lot of shit, you know, come off the shelf that maybe should have had more safety and regulatory oversight. Boy, you know one thing about a Klingon transport ship, Ben, is that you know for sure that they still sound like chains on the inside. (laughs) Yeah, they're not the post-chain upgrade. Yeah, not at all. I bet that D7 in that fight was real chainy. Oh, I bet. You know? Yeah, it was great to see a D7 in battle again. It It was much greener than I'm used to them being. Yeah. It was like a it was like a Kelly Green D seven. They're usually more of like an olive green. Different looks for different houses, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. So this passenger manifest matches the one from the transport ship exactly, and it, this is the gotcha moment. Yeah. And Chipak has to admit on the stand that it's possible that it was all a setup. Chipak being the expert witness on Klingon affairs. Yeah. Like, it is, a, it is a leverage now that is working against him. Isn't it possible? Yes. It basically saves Worf's ass because, you know, like, Worf physically assaulted the other attorney <laughs> in front of the judge. <laughs> you know, what's weird is, like, they don't put Worf back in a holding cell either. Like... Right. He should be in big trouble for that. Yeah, that doesn't appear to have any implication on his career as a Starfleet officer, despite the fact that a captain and a 8-pip admiral <laughs> watched him do it. They should give him the handcuff to the table treatment, right? I was really surprised that that wasn't a part of a, of the subsequent scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Or or like put him in in like a in like a jumpsuit, you know, like the, the the Hannibal Lecter suit. Like, of course, like sometimes prisoners appear before juries in their prison clothing, and that's like seen as potentially prejudicial. Like juries mm-hmm. that see people that are dressed as as criminals, right? Interpret them to be criminals at, at yeah. you know like a measurably higher rate. So usually, like the defense attorney will arrange for a suit to be brought, but maybe like uh, maybe the judge goes like, all right, put him in the jumpsuit <laughs> yeah. for this next part or something. I don't know. But yeah, like the, the evidence basically gets ever, gets him totally off the hook and the uh, and Chapak basically has to back down. Big win. Chapak has appealed to the Admiral's vanity a couple of times in the episode, mm-hmm. which I thought was surprising because she's a Vulcan. And you can see her kind of reacting... To that, you know, like, we are pretty rad. 
you know. Yeah. And uh, and maybe maybe the reason Worf doesn't get in any further trouble is like it is really sticking it to the Klingons for this grand deception to just return Worf to active duty as the uh, as the thing he was doing before. Yeah, the button on the episode is that uh, while everyone else is extremely happy for the outcome here, Worf is in no mood to celebrate uh, because among all of the falsehoods that Chapak laid out in the courtroom, one thing was actually true, and that is there is an engine for vengeance within Worf, and he does have that chip on his shoulder where he feels like he's got things to prove, and Cisco is the man that he shares these feelings with, and maybe wrongly, because Cisco really dresses him down for how those feelings led to his behavior on the battlefield. Yeah, the thing he was accused of, he actually kind of did. Like, he could have given it a beat and made sure that they knew what the ship was that was decloaking. Yeah, I think it's a case where War felt a little too familiar with Cisco because this is like a... This is like Ron Livingston sharing what his workday is like with the Bobs. Like, <laughs> maybe save that for a counselor or something. Yeah. But Cisco has some knowledge to drop here, and it's really, really great because what he's saying is that, like, the responsibility of a leader is not only to make decisions, good decisions on the battlefield, but it's like knowing what the people in your care need of you and that not only goes for uh the battlefield but it goes for after the battle like at quarks which means you really should make an appearance at this party because uh that's part of the job it's part of the job of of uh wearing the pips you got to take care of your people and that means showing up to parties when you're not feeling like a party life is a great deal more complicated in this red uniform did you like this episode i really like this episode i think that the one Shame of it is that Michael Dorn really just has one scene yeah. to really like go ham. I guess I guess he really has two. Like he he has the one with Ron Canada and the one with Cisco at the end. But it's a it's a Worf episode that he really doesn't participate in as much as one would hope. And um it's gotta feel weird as a as an actor to like have major character change being done where you're you can't actually portray your character going through it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, um, I'd say that's just the one knock against it, but the, like, just the scenes between Cisco and Chapak are fucking great. And yeah. I liked Admiral Talara. I liked, uh, I liked the whole thing. You know, it felt like a really special episode, you know? Like, having, having like a weird technique get used, like the, the addressing camera really highlights that. And I think it's cool when a show is aware of the specialness of an episode. I really like the up too, Ben. The answer to this question doesn't matter because I like the technique regardless, but I wonder to what degree uh, technique was wagging the episode dog here with respect to whether or not anyone wanted this episode to be compared to measure of a man. Yeah. Because I mean, it's hard not to compare storylines that involve a courtroom. And I thought this episode did such a good job in distinguishing itself and and making it a totally separate looking and feeling experience from that episode. An episode that everyone is familiar with and knows about, even non-Star Trek people. However that decision was made, uh, it was the right one. And it added so much more interest to what could have been like just a really good courtroom story. I I thought it was well done. Well, do you want to see if we have any uh, priority one messages in the inbox? Yeah. I mean, we do priority one messages all the time, but uh, maybe we can, you know, maybe this will be one of a different technique. (laughs) Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone, could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a commercial nature, and it is from the Super Pod Hero Cast, which is now in its second season, and here's the message. FOD, 
If you like superhero movies, check out the Super Pod Hero Cast. Guys with beers talking about movies with capes. <laughs> a mix of humor and geeky film analysis that sometimes ends with the host being the drunk Shimoda. Odin chooses whether to be kind or to torture them as each week they randomly choose a superhero film from Thor's helmet. Whether you're a casual fan or a 20th level nerd, Todd and Casey have you covered. Check out Super Pod Hero Cast wherever you catch your pod. Wow. Super Pod Hero Cast is all one word, just uh, yeah. for those running a search. That's right. Um, sounds like a great uh, idea for a show. Yeah, give it a try. Uh, our next priority one message is from present slash past Travis, and it is to present slash future Travis. Hmm. goes like this. Hello, myself. Right now, I slash you are enjoying yet another stellar episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and The Greatest Generation. You're already wrong, uh, present slash past Travis. Uh, And this is your slash my way to thank Ben and Adam and Hillary and Mark for so much fun with fart jokes. (laughs) But, and then... But has is a is the word B U T, but then there's like a parenthetical extra T, so it could be the conjunction, but also the word for your your ass, and also like multiplication. Oh, oh yeah, it's but times T, right? Uh, but you have no clue when these chronotons will play. So now I slash you can't veto any episode either. Mwahahaha. Evil time travel laugh. P.S. Put scars on the Patriots. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, uh, present slash past Travis is going to attempt a Biff Tannen slash uh, Akoram Lan kind of uh, scenario where he goes back in the past and gets rich on sports bets. Yikes. Wow. <laughs> I don't know, Travis. There's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> Stay away from Leah Thompson. That's yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think as long as Travis does that, I'm, I'm fine with him with getting anything rich else on he does. Sports betting. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you'd like to leave a priority one message, head to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a commercial message, and they're a great way to support this show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? There is a lot to like about this episode, but one of the elements that clanged with me was uh, the use of the bell in the courtroom. (laughs) And I feel like this is a thing that uh, the episode didn't have a strong conviction about because they use it a lot like as an establishing shot in these scenes. But then uh, they cut away from it mid bell strike at one point in the ep. And there's just something about, like, it's insulting to the Admiral character to stay with the bell ring for the for the into, but cut away mid-bell strike on the <laughs> outro. I-, I thought a lot about this. I-, I thought way more about it than any normal person would. Yeah. And so I think, like, for some reason, I'm... I'm giving the bell my drunk Shimoda. The bell is it and its use. Wow. Yeah. The bell gets a drunk Shimoda. <laughs> yeah, make a decision with that bell. Either either all the way in or all the way out is what I'm saying. What about you, Ben? Quark's testimony is... It starts with him trying to remember what Bashir was saying to one of the Dabo girls. And we get like four or five Dabo girls cycled in as he tries to narrow it down to which of them it was. But then it becomes clear that Quark misremembered Bashir for Morn. (laughs) (laughs) That's tough. Quark... Quark is like like you could never accuse him him of being racist because he can't distinguish between five different Dabo girls and between Bashir and Morn. That's insane. Yeah. So uh, for that reason, Quark is my drunk Shimoda. He's just got that like thing where you can't tell the difference between people's faces. Yeah, he's face blind. Yeah. If he knew Bashir was a piss freak, he wouldn't confuse Morn and Bashir. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, Morn might be getting served the wrong beverages more, more often than, uh, than he would like. 
Yeah, I mean, does Quark think Bashir has a great big crank like Morn does? Because <laughs> that's how you know you got a Morn on your hands. You just, uh, you know, have a scene in the bar where Morn is spitting his drink all over the bar. Going, what the fuck is this? And then <laughs> Bashir is holding up a condom with like a six-inch diameter. And like, like, who could even use this? What is this? <laughs> I didn't know they made condoms like this. Like it, like it's the jacket of a fire extinguisher. <laughs> you can fit a scuba tank in this thing. Uh. Gotta get that, get that gold press A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What is the episode of Deep Space Nine we're fitting into the next episode of The Greatest Generation? Next episode is season four, episode 18, Hard Time. After an alien race implants false memories of a 20-year prison sentence into O'Brien's brain, he has trouble readjusting to station life. 
Oh, wow. This is an ep with a reputation. It sounds like an episode where you really want a Deanna Troy involved. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. God, I wish we were watching it right now. But it turns out we've got to wait until next time to discuss it. Let's see in what way we're going to discuss that episode, Ben. Let's do it. As we turn ourselves over to gox.biz slash game, where we have Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Prophets. We are at present on square six, where four squares ahead we have a Coco Nono square, and then two squares after that we have a Fuck It, Let's Do It Live. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I've got the die in my hand, and I'm rolling now. And I have rolled a two, Ben. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Whoa, that's almost twice as much as what you normally roll. Yeah, two gets us to square eight. It is a regular episode. Fuck. Of the greatest generation. Fuck. I think that's probably good, right? This is. I'm, this is I am very, pissed. This is a very special episode coming up. We wanna we wanna give it the respect it deserves. Is this a very special episode? I think it is. I've, oh. I've, I have not seen the episode, but I've heard a lot about it. Is Ron Canada in it or something? God, I hope so. That'd be great. Just keeps coming back? He's just main cast now? Should be. That would be great. Good enough to be. One of the greats. You know who are also among the greats. I'm, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them as Canada adjacent. Wow. Those that go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and support the show at a monthly level... They're the reason we're able to do the show. Yeah, fucking A. They're the reason we're able to make Ron Canada jokes. They're the reason we're able to do Kern. They're the reason for the season. <laughs> they are. The uh, other po- folks we have to thank are the folks who recommend the show to friends and family and coworkers. You see those numbers creeping up every month, and uh, we really appreciate all, all of the word-of-mouth marketing that uh, our listeners do for us. We scarcely deserve it. We remain embarrassed to produce the show, but many of our viewers not too embarrassed to share its existence with friends and family, and that's great. That is great. Uh, we got to thank Dark Materia for the original theme music for our show, and the great Adam Ragusea for... Uh, chopping and screwing that and uh, creating a whole world of uh, of music around uh, our show that uh, we really, really appreciate. Check out all of the work that our viewers do uh, on behalf of the show, they being better at the creation of artwork than a major Kira of the last episode. We've got uh, <laughs> among them J.J. Lendl, who makes uh, movie-style posters ahead of every episode dropping. And, uh, of course, Bill Tilly, who makes the comedy trading cards that drop week to week. And they are both great. Head to uh, Twitter and use the hashtag GreatestGen to find those. Adam's on there at CutForTime. I'm at BenjaminAHR. There's a Wikia all about the greatest generation. So if, uh, if any of the jokes didn't make any sense to you you can usually find the explanations behind them over there as well as just like a a lot of really funny stuff there's uh there's a million funny things to laugh at over there on that wikia and with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek deep space nine and an episode of the greatest generation deep space nine which may derive a little too much pleasure from inflicting pain and suffering on our friend Miles O'Brien. Yeah. Some some sadistic fucks. That's a fucking bummer. Revealing themselves among the uh, the creative Star Trek community. You lay off Miles O'Brien. He's been through enough. Leave him alone. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.